Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. You know success when you see it, or you think you do, the people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Live from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. We want to get people back to work. We've got to be paving the pathways. It is up to Congress to kind of set the rules of the road, but you have to wonder what Facebook's final objective is in that. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. If they just simply reopened the economy and returned everyone back to work, we would be, I think, in a better situation today. Washington may squander its best chance to make long overdue investments in our infrastructure. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. And we have breaking news from Washington where an FDA advisory panel is now recommending the government approve booster shots for people 65 and older and those considered to be high risk. Moderna shots. That's the same day President Biden trumps the benefits of boosters and mandates. And we'll talk about it all ahead with Nick Diamond, who leads the global health practice at Kroll and Mooring International. Also with Georgetown Law. Before that, though, we zero in on the Virginia governor's race with less than three weeks to the election. And political scientist and pollster Dr. Rebecca Brownlee Trujillo of Christopher Newport University is going to join us to look at this tightening race and the Trump effect. Also today, the classic panel. Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano, our Democratic analyst, along with Republican strategist Rick Davis, in for the hour. It's one of the most closely watched races in the country right now. That will determine the next governor of Virginia. Seen as a bellwether nationally. And if you live in Virginia or across the river in D.C., you cannot hide from it. I'm Terry McAuliffe, candidate for governor, and I sponsored this ad. What kind of governor would Glenn Youngkin be? President Trump represents so much of why I'm running. I'm Glenn Youngkin. I'm not a politician. I spent 30 years building business and getting big things done. The single biggest issue. This is the most important issue. He's talking about the election fraud. Glenn Youngkin, putting Trump's agenda first. I get asked a lot about right to work. McAuliffe has publicly dodged questions about whether he'd repeal Virginia's right to work law. No scary I could music, play the no ads for the rest of this hour. I won't. Democrat Terry McAuliffe, the former governor versus Republican Glenn Youngkin. You got it? Spending together a combined $36 million on TV ads, according to the New York Times, and generating national headlines in a race that is seen right or wrong by the political news media as a referendum on Donald Trump and on cultural issues like vaccine mandates, abortion rights, schools. Latest polls show McAuliffe holding a thin lead. This thing has been tightening. He's up by only four points 
according to the latest out this week from Christopher Newport University. And we're joined right now by the political scientist behind that poll, Dr. Rebecca Bromley Trujillo, research director of CNU's Wasson Center. Welcome, Dr. to Bloomberg Radio. Is this race too close to call? would say it leans Democratic. I, I mean, at this point, McAuliffe has a slight edge, but this could easily go Yunkin's way, depending on the voter turnout that we see in the state. That sounds like a very tight situation. It has been tightening, though, right? Where did you have them a couple of weeks ago with compared to now at four point spread? Yeah, so we've definitely seen tightening in this race. Uh, So back in August, late August, we were showing McAuliffe up by nine points. Uh, Our most recent poll shows him up by four points. So that's an obvious tightening, although I want to say that that tightening happened a couple of weeks ago, and it's still staying around a 3.4-point lead for McAuliffe. So I don't know that it's further tightening, uh, but we'll have to see what goes on in the next couple of weeks. I want to ask you about the Trump factor uh, after the former president called into a rally last night for Yunkin, one that, by the way, Yunkin did not attend himself. Here's Donald Trump speaking to the as billed Take Back Virginia rally. Glenn Yunkin is a great gentleman, really successful. He loves the state. We've got to get him in. I know Terry McAuliffe very well. And Terry was a lousy governor with raising taxes. That's all they knew how to do. Okay, it was organized by the former Trump campaign chair in Virginia, a talk show host, and featured remarks by Steve Bannon, among others. They all reiterated the 2020 election was stolen. They pledged allegiance as well to an American flag that was carried by protesters in Washington on January 6th. The current governor, Ralph Northam, a Democrat, held a conference call today to denounce that event. Last night's rally featured the same old lies about the 2020 election and that truly offensive celebration of an attempted coup. And Glenn, 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 you thanked the organizers for hosting that rally. Did he think Glenn was going to reply to him? Uh, Anyway, I don't know if you've seen this, doctor, but we just got a statement since we just took air from the Yunkin campaign. It says, while I had no role in last night's event, I have heard about it from many people in the media today. He says, quote, it's weird and wrong to pledge allegiance to a flag connected to January 6th. Does it matter if he was not there in person? I mean, certainly it's pretty easy to connect him even if he wasn't there. But, you know, Yunkin really has to walk a tightrope. He needs to, you know appease Trump voters, but he also needs to be a moderate candidate in Virginia, which is a state that is bluish. You know, this is a trending blue state. And in order for a Republican to win in this state, they really have to maintain mostly moderate positions. And so he wants to make sure that he doesn't alienate Trump, because obviously there are voters out there that still support Trump in the state. Uh, But at the same time, it's certainly more effective for him to put a gap between himself and the former president. But it's also effective for the McAuliffe campaign to try to tie him to Trump, right, to motivate Democrats. Yes, absolutely. Is he doing well on that? Uh, so he's been trying to do this throughout the campaign, and certainly he's put out a number of ads linking Trump to Yunkin, and in ways that's easy and in ways it's difficult. And, and so where it's easy is that, you know, certainly Yunkin has received the endorsement of former President Trump. And, but on the other hand, uh, I would say Yunkin's issue positions uh, are not quite Trumpian. And so 
it's difficult in that sense. And, and certainly McAuliffe's strategy to nationalize this race and tie Youngkin to Trump is probably his best bet, but it's, it's been difficult for him in the last couple of weeks. Millions, tens of millions of dollars spent on ads. We just gave our listeners a taste, as you heard, Doctor. Are, are any of them working? And what does it tell you when candidates are pumping this much money into a statewide election? Well, it's certainly telling that this is a very important election and it's very contentious. And so this is really a test for President Biden. It's also a test for Virginia Democrats who've held power in the state for quite some time now. And so really, it's a referendum on both state actors and national actors. And certainly, Democrats nationally would hate to see a state like this uh, going to a Republican candidate because the state is considered blue. Uh, And you look historically, you know, Virginia has not elected a Republican statewide since 2009. But on the other hand, this is still a state that is only really a kind of plus for Democratic state. And so if you see high enthusiasm among Republicans, then this could easily swing to a Republican candidate, especially when you have those national headwinds with a president who's not particularly popular. It's interesting you mentioned 2009. I remember that race very well. It was it's considered sort of part of the fallout from Obamacare or a kind of a reaction to the Obama administration and health care reform. Bob McDonnell, of course, gosh, I remember him delivering the Republican response uh, to the State of the Union, I believe it was he, he was considered on the short list to run for president, and he ran into scandal, of course. But are there are there parallels that we can fairly make between now and the Biden economic agenda, for instance, turning some state elections to Republicans? So I say there are some parallels. I mean, certainly this idea of an unpopular president influencing a statewide race uh, in Virginia is certainly there. Um, On the other hand, I'd say the backlash to the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare was much larger than the backlash we're seeing right now to Biden's agenda. And so I'd say it's not quite as bad in terms of the national forces in this race as it was in 2009. Uh, And you also got very different candidates, of course. uh, But, man, those national factors really push statewide races, uh, you know, where voters aren't paying as much attention. And so, you know, what's going on nationally is certainly going to play a role. Well, the irony is not lost on me that the actual Barack Obama himself is coming to stump for Terry (laughs) McAuliffe. What does that tell us about the, the state of affairs here? And will Joe Biden do the same? You know, I don't expect Joe Biden to do the same because he's not super popular in the state or nationally right now. Uh, He's got a struggling agenda in Congress. Mm -hmm. And so Democrats are are kind of unhappy in general, not very enthusiastic. And so I think McAuliffe honestly would like to distance himself a little bit from Biden. Well, it seems like he has been. But when he's asked, he keeps saying, no, he's he's coming. He'll he'll be here someday. (laughs) Yes, it is a little interesting that he's said that. Uh, But... But yeah, certainly, I don't know that he would really welcome it. Uh, he did at the beginning of the campaign, and that was a different time, though, truly a different time. Yeah. And Biden's approval rating has faded since then. Obama, on the other hand, is a more popular figure. Yes, uh, Obama and Biden are linked in ways, but, but they're still separate individuals. And I don't think the same kind of uh, unhappy feelings are residing for people with Obama. So I think it's a safer bet for McAuliffe to have Obama here 
um, campaigning for him. We're talking with Dr. Rebecca Brownlee Trujillo, who handles Virginia State Polling uh, for Christopher Newport University, the Watson Center for Public Policy. Just before you leave us, talk to me about the changing demographics in Virginia. So much of this has to do with the suburbs around Washington, D.C., right? That's why yes. it's it's blue or maybe a shade of purple. But there's a big bunch of Virginia outside of Washington that sees the world very differently. How much will the suburbs in the tech corridor in Virginia help to decide this race? Huge. I mean, this is, yes, you're absolutely right. The shifting demographics in this state, the reason that this has been a trending blue state is the suburbs. So the explosion of the suburbs uh, in northern Virginia, you also see, you know, Chesapeake, uh, Virginia Beach. There are other areas that have shifted towards Democrats uh, in sometimes unexpected ways. And this is generally Democrats are doing better in the suburbs. And that's true in Virginia as well. And, you know, people are coming into Northern Virginia from different backgrounds. You know, you have more immigrants, you have um, more um, historically underrepresented minorities. So, you, you know, that is certainly it's a very different place than it was 10, even five years ago. Dr. Rebecca Bromley Trujillo, many thanks for your expertise on the program. We'll assemble the panel next. This is Bloomberg. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Maybe we'll learn something from this election in Virginia. We always learn something from the panel. We've got the classic lineup today with Bloomberg Politics contributor Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis, who's no stranger to Virginia politics. And they're with us now as we talk about the ad wars here. $36 million, Rick Davis, for an election that is not yet complete. More than half, as I read, 60%, according to the New York Times, are negative ads. And now we're within four points. Is Terry McAuliffe in trouble? You know, look, anytime you have a uh, former governor running for election in a state where Democrats have won consistently statewide since 2009 and its margin of error... (laughs) Uh, between him and a a Republican who's never run for anything ever. Yeah, yeah, he's in trouble. I mean, he's never broached the 49% uh, support level. So when you look at a guy like him who's extremely well-known by everybody in Virginia, people made up their mind about Terry a long time ago, not getting to 50 or not breaking beyond 50 is a real problem for his campaign. What does this mean for the Democratic Party in a moment where we're looking for anything, Jeannie, to give us uh, an idea of where we're heading in these midterm elections next year? You know, I think all of us like to read an awful lot into these types of elections, and we certainly will, regardless of what the outcome is. But as much as they're trying to nationalize this race on both sides, a lot of voters are going to go out and vote because of issues going on in their locality and their state. So You know, we have to be very cautious what we read. Mm -hmm. I do think the best thing that can happen to Terry McAuliffe is Donald Trump keeps doing what he did last night. That is a disaster for the Republicans. That's a disaster for Youngkins. That's why he stayed away last night. And I think this is true across the board. You know, Donald Trump successfully handed the Senate to Democrats in 2020. He cost them the Georgia election. And he could very well do the same in places like Virginia and places across the country as we head into 2022. So one bright spot for Terry McAuliffe, among others, it's not the only, is that Donald Trump keeps getting involved and and, and Youngkins thinks he needs him there, but is trying to sort of walk this tightrope that's very difficult to walk. 
And just to remind everybody, at this rally last night, Trump wasn't even there. He was on the phone. I hope Glenn gets in there and he'll straighten out Virginia, lower taxes, do all of the things that we want a governor to do. And I really believe that Virginia is very, very winnable. But everybody has to go out and vote. Remember when he was doing all the national interviews on the phone? No one has ever worked the phone more successfully, I think, than Donald Trump. But Rick Davis, this does cut both ways. Does it bring more Trump supporters to the polls or does it activate more Democrats who are afraid of Trump? You know, that's it's the yin and the yang, right? I mean, evidence was when Donald Trump went down to Georgia after the election for those two specials, uh, he generated more Democratic vote than probably would have gone out before. And so in that case, most Republicans I know accredit those two Democratic seats to Donald Trump coming and campaigning for the wow. for the Republicans. So the question is, will he do the same thing here? You know, is there a chance that he shows up on the doorstep? He's sending out a lot of mixed signals. You just heard him uh, say turn out for for the Republican turn out for Youngkin. But today he tweeted a message to his supporters saying, uh, don't vote in 22 and don't vote in 24 until everybody agrees that the election was stolen. So like, you know, that's exactly the message from Georgia. And that's what got Republicans in in trouble. Isn't that the truth, Jeannie? That's what happened in Georgia. I guess I'll flip the coin, though. What happens when an Obama or, God forbid, a President Biden show up? Does it have the same effect Trump had in Georgia? I don't know if it has quite the same effect, but we've seen Terry McAuliffe trying desperately to, you know, position himself as far away from what's going on in D.C. as he possibly can. He has been, you know, uh, you know, basically walking away from the Democrats and what they're doing in Washington, D.C., because he knows the chaos that is there that we talk about every day is not helping him with voters at home. So he is, you know, been making those statements repeatedly, you know, but Donald Trump is sort of in a class of its own when it comes to hurting members of his own party. Yeah, Joe Biden may not be the he's you know, he's not as popular as he once was. Barack Obama is and has never been exactly that close to Terry McAuliffe. But Donald Trump, yes, he can get that primary vote out. But if this race is going to be decided by independents and moderates in the suburbs, it is going to hurt Republicans in Virginia for this race. I mean, that is what has happened repeatedly when it has come to these general election contests. Just as, as a Democrat, Jeannie, is, it, is Barack Obama still the big bill? Is that still the biggest headliner you can have show up? It was Bill Clinton for many years, right, and Hillary Clinton after he left the White House. Uh, but gosh, what? It, it's It's been a couple of years. Is Barack Obama still the winner? I think he is Barack Obama, somebody like Michelle Obama, even though mm-hmm. she wasn't elected, very, very popular with the Democratic base. But again, uh, you know, as Rick knows, um, Obama and Terry McAuliffe, never incredibly close. But I think right. it says something that he is out there stumping for him at this point. And certainly Barack Obama, still incredibly popular with Democrats. And that's the way this stuff works as well. I don't know if you heard our conversation uh, with the Dr. Rick with the pollster in Virginia. But how important are the the blue suburbs versus the rest of the state in, in this turnout? Oh, yeah. I was so excited that you had someone from Christopher Newport College because the president there, Paul Tribble, was my first statewide campaign huh. that I ever Excellent. ran in 1982. We got pedigree on this program. Yeah. So, yeah, she's right. It's all going to be about the suburbs. And right now, I'd say it's neck and neck. So if Terry's going to win, he's got to win those suburbs. Rick and Jeannie are with us for the hour. They'll be back in a bit. Coming up, President Biden speaks to the benefits of vaccine mandates the same day 
An FDA advisory panel recommends the Moderna booster, at least for some, we'll discuss with global health policy expert Nick Diamond. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. You need a company with extensive experience in specialized insurance. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and helping provide coverage that suits your needs. The Hartford offers insurance solutions that help mid to large sized businesses like yours effectively manage risk from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With extensive experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, The Hartford goes beyond the expected to deliver innovative, customizable solutions and service that your industry, that your business demands. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Broadcasting live from our nation's capital, Bloomberg 99.1, to New York, Bloomberg 1130, to Boston, Bloomberg 1061, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Business App and BloombergRadio.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew. Line on the terminal. Biden says number of unvaccinated in U.S. is unacceptably high. Indeed, the president addressed the nation today to show the positive impact of vaccine mandates, or I guess I should say requirements. Almost at the same time, the FDA's advisory panel chose to recommend a booster shot for those who got the Moderna jab. And we'll talk about it all next with Nick Diamond, who leads the global health practice at Kroll and Mooring International, also with Georgetown Law. President Biden says his administration's approach to fighting COVID is working. Case rates are declining in 39 states and hospital rates are declining in 38 states. We're down to 66 million, still unacceptably high number of unvaccinated people from almost 100 million in July. That's important. It's important progress. You spoke from the East Room. You heard it on Bloomberg Radio. The president made the case for public and private mandates. Businesses and organizations that are implementing requirements are seeing their vaccination rates rise by an average of 20 percent or more to well over 90 percent, the number of employees vaccinated. I'm going to stick with the idea of mandates here for a moment with another headline out today. U.S. Navy says sailors who refuse vaccine will be expelled. There's, of course, a lot of controversy around all of this, even as the president makes the case for its effectiveness. And as the FDA advisory panel backs the Moderna booster for older, higher risk people, we're waiting for word on the J&J shot that may well come tomorrow. And we dig into it all with Nick Diamond now, who leads the global health practice at Kroll and Mooring International, also adjunct professor at Georgetown Law. Nick, thank you for being here. Despite the obvious controversies around these requirements, are they working? Thank you, and it's great to spend a couple of minutes with you today. Uh, I think the president's right. I think we are seeing uh, the benefits of these vaccination requirements. Um, it's important to note that vaccine requirements have been around for a long time. We have them for school entry and the that's been the case for many decades. And so I think we're starting to see the effects of some of the uh, federally driven uh, vaccination requirements uh, the president was referencing earlier today. 
we've certainly seen some big companies uh, take to the mandates. McDonald's, Goldman Sachs, some big household names. And we understand that the Labor Department is finishing up its rule that the president started to, to get the ball rolling on at the beginning of September. There'll actually be a rule for companies that employ 100 or more people. How are companies doing with this, Nick? And how do you say to employees that this is about COVID and not control? But tell me, how, how are companies doing with this? I had such a well-crafted question for you, too. What are they telling employees, as I said a minute ago, that, that this is about COVID, not about government control? Right. And the message that we've been consistently hearing from employers of all sizes really since early on in the pandemic was um, making sure to stress the importance of both vaccination as well as the other public health measures like uh, masking and physical distancing. Uh, and I think we're seeing you know, a much stronger voice from the administration on that front uh, in the past couple of weeks, uh, whether it's a requirement specific to military or governmental personnel. Nick, appreciate you. Maybe I'll talk to you again someday. The numbers that we saw, by the way, yesterday with regard to uh, the mandates, and this was the point that the president was making, 440,000 first and second shots yesterday. That's in one day. Four, now, that sounds pretty good, hundreds of thousands. Look back to last spring, however, when it was millions per day. So we certainly haven't gotten back up to that point. When you add the booster shots, 800,000 got the jab yesterday. And President Biden talking about this as the FDA figures out the way forward. We're going to get into this coming up with the panel and see how Rick and Jeannie feel about it. But booster shots of Moderna's vaccine, just to fulfill that story, should be given to people, as I read on the terminal, and those at high risk of the disease, and we'll wait to see what the overall agency says. Additional doses of the two-shot vaccine should be offered to people 65 and older, along with adults 18 and older, who are at high risk for medical or occupational reasons. The FDA will let us know in the coming days. And coming up, we'll get into this with Rick and Jeannie, see how they feel about this Navy directive that came out today as well. So stay right here. We'll check traffic and the markets on the way. This is Sound On. I'm Joe Matthew. And this is Bloomberg. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. It seems the science is catching up with President Biden. Or is it the other way around? Weeks after he first spoke to the need for booster shots, whether they be six months or eight months later, who's counting the president today? Speaking as the FDA advisory panel considers the Moderna booster. Authorize the boosters, which will be strictly made based on the science. That decision will be based on the science. This will mean all three vaccines will be available for boosters. Already, more than one out of three eligible seniors have gotten their third shot, the booster. The booster. Two days of hearings. Moderna today got the recommendation from the panel those 65 and older or those at high risk. And tomorrow we may well hear about the J&J booster and then the FDA will follow with its own. They tend to follow the recommendations, but as we heard with the Pfizer booster, they may tweak that a little bit too. And we're joined by the panel once again, Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis. Is this good for the president, Jeannie? You were 
actually critical of Joe Biden for getting a little bit further ahead of the science on this and kind of muddying the message about booster shots. Is this coming together for the White House now? I think it is. I I was very, very pleased that the president came out today. I think he has to stay on top of delivering this message. We're headed in the right direction. We're following the science and we are making progress. And when, you know, even just when you were speaking with Nicholas before, we are making progress. The president made that clear. It's it's not nearly as fast as anybody wants it. And he's right not to get ahead of the science this time. And, you know, I'm very, fascinated by the Navy um, when it came out and you mentioned this yeah I thought their argument was very well made as well they they put it in the context you know you asked Nicholas is this uh, how do you let people know this is about you know COVID and not control I think the Navy did a great job in saying this is about us executing our mission sailors have to be vaccinated and healthy in order to execute the mission of of protecting the country. Mm -hmm. So they couched it in that. And that kind of message, I think, is critically important that we're hearing from organizations like the Navy. Let's get to that, Rick. You know the Navy. You spent a lot of time advising one of the most famous sailors and airmen in naval history. We saw a couple major outbreaks on aircraft carriers and and, and on major ships last year in, in the big waves. Is the Navy doing the right thing here? Aye, aye, Admiral. They are doing the right thing. Uh, led by the new Navy Secretary, Carlos del Toro, uh, they are making it totally clear to the, uh, the active duty um, uh, military uh, under his command that uh, they're going to get the jab by November 28th or uh, look at disciplinary action. And I think mm-hmm. that's the kind of message that uh, the government needs to send so that everybody knows that these are not things that we should be uh, necessarily thinking are voluntary, right? I mean, like the government sets a standard. The Navy has uh, very high standards when it comes to, uh, you know, uh, as Jeannie said, preparedness. We want a military that's prepared. Uh, nobody wants anything less. And in order to be that way, we have to get the jab. And so I think that's a, I think it, the message goes beyond just sort of the, the numbers that we're piling up on, on trying to get these, uh, vaccine mandates. I think it's a message to people who have nothing to do with the military that if it's good enough for them, it's good enough for you. Navy says 98 percent of its active duty members had either one or two shots in them already. Uh, When we're talking about, though, Jeannie, the overall military, uh, as I read here, including the reserves, though, uh, we're just below 80 percent with at least one dose. And if every branch of the military did what the Navy was doing, forget disciplinary action, we're talking about it, kicking them out of the force, our military could lose as many as 46,000 troops. Is it worth it? Uh, you know, I, I think that this kind of message is what's going to ensure that doesn't happen. But, uh, you know, God forbid that that had to happen. I, I don't see that happening. But it is important that our troops are vaccinated. And and I think the Navy has done a tremendous job. The number you just read, and, and I understand now from Rick, we're supposed to call you Admiral. So Admiral Joe. <laughs> I, I would have um, appreciated that. Uh, <laughs> as if. I, I'm following Rick on that. Um, you know, a 99% having the two shots, and you compare that with where we are as a nation. Um, if, I, I hope I got this number right today, about 66% of the eligible U.S. population. Um, so, you know, they are doing incredibly well. Uh, you know, this is critically important so that we can protect our 
you know, everybody who's in the service and also so that they can do the job of protecting all of us. And I think this is exactly the kind of message that has to be sent. We are heading in the right direction. And of course, you know, it, it, it is important that this is not just about the health of our bodies. It's also about mm -hmm. the health of our economy as well. For the president, this is critical to getting us back on track. Rick, for those of us uh, who have not served or are not serving, is this the equivalent of disobeying orders or is it looked at differently in the military? No. I mean, uh, you get an order to take it, get a shot, you get a shot. And, Simple and as remember, that. you know, when, when people went to war in Iraq, uh, they, they were getting uh, anthrax vaccinations, right? They were getting all That's kinds right. of different shots. I mean, this was not unusual. You guys remember when Cipro? Active duty, Cipro. I mean, like, uh, I, I, I know stories where people literally would get four in one arm and three in another arm oh. and all at one time, right? They're no fooling around and, you know, maybe feel bad for a couple of days, but boom, they're right back on active duty. So, sure they are. Um, so that, that, this is not the group that's going to play around with a shop mandate. Right. Mm -hmm. But, but again, I mean, you know, and we don't want them to, right. We want everybody ready to go at moment's notice. Uh, this is a real time military we have. Uh, and, and, but I do think, a lot of people respect the military. When you look at our institutions and who actually has credibility with the American public, the military is one of the few that actually punches through uh, with, with a positive image. And so that the military being part of this message, as Jeannie said, to the American public saying, we're not fooling around with this and you should be as prepared as we are, I think is a terrific message to get people uh, the jab as soon as possible. Uh, because if they don't, there's going to be political repercussions to this administration if they look impotent in their ability to get this vaccine mandate across the board. Fascinating take from the uh, National Institutes of Health courtesy producer Matt Shirley. In a white paper, they write, quote, throughout America's first 145 years of war, get this, far more of the country's military personnel perished from infectious diseases than from enemy action. Just let that sink in for a minute. Now, I'm going to risk something here because we only have a few minutes left, but I'm going to risk changing the subject because we got a big uh, a big headline today on a little thing called reconciliation. And we have just enough time for both of you guys to react to this. Punchbowl, the first to report the White House is nearing an end of its patience on reconciliation talks. They are calling for something to happen here. Quote, time for negotiations is nearing an end. Soon it will be time for negotiations to conclude Unquote. Bloomberg was quick to confirm that story. And Jeannie, I wonder if you think we're actually headed for something here or if the White House, clearly frustrated, is just making more noise. You know, I, I, I think that they do feel frustrated. They do want this to have ended. They wanted to have ended a long time ago. But, you know, I'm not quite sure what sending that message out publicly does. You've got to or they have got to. They have got to deal with Joe Manchin, Kristen Cinema, And, you know, another thing reported in the last 24, 48 hours is how far apart those two are and what they want. That's right. So, you know, it's it's not about, you know, the White House putting up its hands and saying, we're done. We've got to move on and get a deal. It's got to be dealing with these people who can hold it up. And right now in the Senate, that's Manchin and Cinema. So where are they on that, I think, is the big question. Rick, does the White House risk appearing irrelevant when this potentially leads to nothing? 
Yeah, I think that they've been leading from behind on this legislative uh, initiative uh, since the beginning. Uh, they let them work it out. We're going to, you know, sort of hear the proposals. Uh, and when it breaks down, they don't seem anxious to run in and, and, and be the fire department and put the fire out. So the fact that they're like just throwing this out into the public domain without some kind of action forcing event, the president going up to Capitol Hill, mm-hmm. having the, the people into the White House for negotiations, uh, doesn't make any sense from a political perspective, because who is he putting heat on? Right. I mean, like he doesn't direct this to anybody but Congress at large. And there are a lot of people in Congress working very hard to try and get a deal done. And they'd yeah. love him to weigh in on what is the deal that's going to get done. So did Speaker Pelosi look at this today, Jeannie, and say, great, thanks, we're working on it? Yeah, yeah. I, I think if you're Pelosi, you've got to be, you know, pulling out your hair at this one, because this is all she has been doing for, you know, in addition to... <laughs> the, it's been a lifestyle. The, the deficit, yeah, I mean, she knows that there's there's got to be a deal. And so I, I couldn't agree with Rick Moore. This, you know, there's got to be them actually bringing people to the table and saying, where are you going to give? Where are you going to take? Where are we going to meet in the middle? That's certainly not easy, but just sort of throwing it out into the ether that you're frustrated and this should end. I don't see the end game for them there, and I don't see how it's helpful to them or anyone else. Reminding everyone that, Rick, the the, the couple of actions you mentioned, the president going up to Capitol Hill and bringing people into the White House for meetings, have already happened. Yeah, that's right. And they got nowhere from it. And, you know, this is all going to play itself out politically in Virginia. And so if there's no deal by the time people vote, we're in trouble for Democrats there. You heard it from Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano, Bloomberg Politics contributors, with another great panel today and appreciate your insights as ever. We'll do it again tomorrow. Gosh, it's already Friday tomorrow. The fastest hour in politics. We call it Sound On. This is Bloomberg. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.